Yes, Jesus, it is all true. Today, may what we sing and worship be true in our hearts. And everyone said? Amen. May be seated. Thank you. That song is perfect. We might have to sing it after the sermon. We'll see how it goes first, right? It might be a dirge. You never know. Here at the Orchard, our vision is to love God and love people. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple. And then you live that out in your life, and you get the love God part. Well, of course I love God, and then you get the loving people. And you know some people, don't you? You live with some people. Good luck with that. It's almost as if we have to love God and let him resource to truly love those people. But that's a different sermon. Right now, we're in Luke 20. I almost got off track there, Charlie. Can you believe it? I almost just started preaching about the vision, just for free. Yeah. Luke 20. Now, I have to give you a little preamble. So Jesus has come into Jerusalem, right? Remember he came in riding on a donkey on Lamb Selection Day? And then and he has four days until Passover starts. That's where we find him. Now, we skipped over a section about the temple because Charlie and I, we, we both kind of like different, we like different parts of it. So Charlie's going to preach the temple. I'm going to preach this this week, but I'm going to do it a, a little bit ahead. So what I'm going to refer to in here kind of refers a little bit to what he's going to talk about next week. So it's going to be beautiful. So in uh, chapter 20 of Luke, one day... This is after the temple episode that you'll hear about next week. Jesus was teaching in the temple courts and proclaiming the what? The what? Now, how long, Jesus has how many days till he dies? What's he doing with the final days of his life? How does he even have good news in him? He's about to be tortured and killed. He's got good news. He is the good news. If you had a couple more days to live, what would you be doing? Proclaiming the good news or jumping out of planes? I mean, come on. Jesus is, he's in church, people. I mean, let's tell you, if you find out you got one or two days, you better be here proclaiming good news. Jesus had good news. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, let me just read that over. That's everyone who's anyone who's important in the religious. The chief priests, the teachers, that's experts of the law, with the elders of the local temple. This is everyone. This is, this is, this is um, the principal, the superintendent, and the teacher, and the board of directors. This is everyone calling you into their office. They came up to Jesus and said, tell us by what authority you are doing these things. Who gave you this authority? Now, for us here in, in, in the orchard, in, in especially, you know, we know the whole story. Who, who could he just say? Well, he could say one word. Who gave you this authority? What would he say? God. But Jesus is Jewish. And in the Jewish community, you would answer, often answer a question with a question. It's, that's how the rabbis worked. And said, so, hey, take it off. They're reading ahead. Take it off. I don't want anybody reading ahead. He dies in the end. Spoiler alert. Are we good? Okay. Gosh, you guys are just hungry for the word. <laughs> so they say, whose authority do you do this from? Whose authority do you teach in? Do miracles in? Clear the temple in? You're here teaching. Who's Who gave you the authority? And Jesus, in the great Jesus fashion, he says this. He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from human origin? So they ask him whose authority do you do this in, and he says, hey, John's baptism, is it from heaven or from earth? Which is saying, where does John's authority come from? This only works when you're Jesus. Like, let's say you're out with your friends, you're out with your guy friends, you know, having a good time, come in late, and your wife goes, where have you been? Why are you late? I ask you this, where's John the Baptist been? 
<laughs> it only works for Jesus. Like they ask him a point blank question. Where does your authority come from? And he goes, let me ask you a question. Where does John the Baptist's authority come from? They're like, what? Why? I, I love it. It only works for him. And so, the, of course, the, the elders and the chief priests, they discussed it amongst themselves. And they say, if we say that it's John the Baptist's authority is from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe him? And then we're caught. If, he say, if we say it's of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded John was a prophet. We can't say it's from heaven. We can't say it's from earth. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. We just don't know. And Jesus, I love it, then neither will I tell you what authority I am doing things. And he just goes back to teaching. The John the Baptist defense. It's almost like if you're a politician and you just go, something, something, something. Where is John the Baptist's authority come from? And then just go about your life. Just throw it in your marriage. See how it works. If you get in trouble, just say Jesus and the preacher did it, okay? But that's it. That's all the verses I'm supposed to preach on today. Eight verses, where's your authority from? Let me ask you a question. Where's John's authority from? We don't know, then I won't tell you. That's it. That's what we have today. Now, I have to, this, this is the open and shut from our perspective and our context, but this right here, I am so excited about today. This is so rich, and there are so many layers of drama going on here. What, what just transpired is no small thing. It's no small thing, because see, there's a reason He's responding to the question now about something that happened way before. He didn't just pick a name out of there. He picked a person for a reason. And he asked him about that authority. And we're going to find out why he did it today. See, I preached on Luke 3 two and a half years ago, two years ago. So 10 of you were here for that. And in the, of the 10 of you here, one of you will remember this sermon. Not, not the whole sermon, but I have some stuff today because when I preached Luke 3 then, I referred to Luke 20. And now that we're in Luke 20, eh? Luke 3, it meshes up perfectly. And we're going to see what's going on here as we see what Jesus is saying. So first of all, we have to look at what's happening. Why does he even bring up John the Baptist? Why does he bring a man who's been beheaded into this discussion about his authority well, John the Baptist, who was he? Let's do a little, little refresh on who John the Baptist was. He was an older cousin of Jesus by six months, okay? He was prophesied to come before the Messiah and prepare the way. Luke 1.15 tells us he was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth and that it was prophesied he would bring many back to God. So the presence of God was on John the Baptist. We do know that. Whether the, whether the rabbis and the chief priests and the elders will, will admit it or not, the Bible foretells and prophesies about John the Baptist. He was a rabbi. He had Talmudin. That means he had disciples. When you have disciples following you, he was a rabbi with, with importance, and so he walked and traveled and spoke and preached with passion. And not just with any passion, but with authority that a certain kind of rabbi would have, only a certain kind of rabbi. You see, John the Baptist, he didn't just talk about certain things in the word. He had new interpretations, new revelations. He was a voice crying in the wilderness, speaking about the kingdom of God that was to come. Jesus says of John the Baptist in Matthew 11, he says, I tell you the truth, of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus held John the Baptist in high esteem, and God did something when he knit these two together and prophesied that one would lead the other. So, so this baptism thing, why does Jesus bring up his baptism? Jesus' reply wasn't just John the Baptist, it was, what about John the Baptist's baptism? From what, two 
almost three, in Jesus' time, this would be almost three years prior. He brings up a, a wild man who lived in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey. He brings up the way he would baptize people. Why? Why would he do that? Well, let's look at baptism first of all. The Hebrews had baptism, but it wasn't something like we know it. Okay, on this side of the cross where we are after Jesus' death and resurrection, we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit based upon the work of Jesus Christ. The baptism of Jesus is for those who are old enough to on their own have made the decision in their heart to receive Jesus as Savior. Then told to follow a personal salvation with a public baptism. So salvation and baptism are part of what it means to follow Jesus. But in a Hebrew context, that was not what it was. It was a ceremonial cleansing. It was a ritual. It was a symbolic and ceremonial baptism for temporary spiritual cleanliness. But then comes along John the Baptist. And he's not the baptism of Jesus because Jesus has not done his work yet. But he's not doing the ritual cleansing of the Old Testament either. What is he doing? It's not ceremony. It's conviction. It wasn't ritual, it was repentance. He was calling people to something. And the people, they responded in droves. He would preach and they would respond, which is why in Luke 20, later, when um, the leaders cannot say that John the Baptist was from human origin, his baptism, because those people had been out there in the wilderness with John the Baptist. He was a unique voice to the Hebrew people, calling them to conviction and repentance. He probably baptized many of the people who were there in the temple listening to Jesus. And then he was executed by the Romans, beheaded. The topic of John the Baptist was personal to a lot of these people. So when the leaders say, we can't say it's from human origin, they're right. He's beloved. He's a, he was a prophet who spoke and acted with power from God that the people could see and tangibly were touched by personally. So we see this back and forth between Luke 20 and what they, they can and can't say there based on Luke 3 and what happens there. But, but why does Jesus even bring up John the Baptist again when asked about his personal authority? Couldn't Jesus have just said, could he not have just said, God? Couldn't he? Why, why, why? Why this roundabout? Well, let's go back into Luke 3. Picture yourself. You're in the wilderness. You're east of Jerusalem, past Bethany, Jericho, and then there's the Jordan River. It's arid. There's not many things, people out there, but this day there are throngs of people. No city. And there in the middle of this throng is one man, and perhaps he has walked down into the, the Jordan River and projecting up onto the banks and into the people. And he's speaking with power and teaching with conviction and calling them to repentance for the kingdom of heaven is coming. Well, Jesus is on the scene. John the Baptist doesn't know it. Jesus is on the scene and he watches as John the Baptist preaches to these people. As he's down there in the water speaking up and using the power of the Spirit to call them to change and transform their life. And Jesus watches as these people listen and they cry and their hearts are moved and he watches as they respond and begin to line up and wade into the water toward John and surround him. As these people who want life change, who want repentance, who want John's baptism. And then we have John who, as he would call them forward, he would place his hands on them and say, as he would pray, Father, this is your daughter. She comes for repentance, cleanse her. 
And he would lock eyes with her as he would walk off. And he would receive the next person. Father, this is your son whom you love. May you hear his prayer. And he would release him. And as he releases him and looks over, he's face to face with Jesus. Jesus got in John the Baptist's baptism line. And they're standing there face to face. Now these two had known each other from their youth. Jesus moved away to Egypt for a while, but there was times their families had to be close. I can't imagine the fact that the, the tribal way that the people lived back then, that they did not spend some time together in their youth. Talking about the kingdom of God. And it's almost like by what John the Baptist declares about Jesus throughout his, his message, that he knows Jesus almost better than anyone except for maybe Mary. He sees there his cousin, but he knows his cousin isn't just a good man or a rabbi. In fact, he stops, and he says in, 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 Ma- in Matthew 3, he says, I need to be baptized by you. What are you doing here? Why are you coming down for my baptism of repentance? I need to be baptized by you. Jesus won't allow it. He won't allow John to bab- He won't allow himself to baptize John. He lets and asks John, "Baptize me. Your work is good. Baptize me." Now, the actual baptism, we have to ask, why is Jesus getting baptized? The baptism is for repentance or conviction. He has no sins to cleanse. He has no guilty conscience to respond to John the Baptist's message of, I'm convicted, I need to get baptized. He has no need for baptism. Why does he do this? Why does he walk down into the water and get baptized? It's amazing to me, Jesus need, he needed nothing. He had every reason to sit back and watch people get baptized, knowing he didn't need it. And it's, it, we have many excuses why we don't get baptized too, don't we? We can't say we're perfect though. Like Jesus, I have not yet sinned. But we sit back often and we let the pride or the fear of going forward and getting baptized stop us. And Jesus had every reason to not, to not do it. Perhaps he is calling you to follow him in this. Perhaps him being your rabbi, the fact that he would go forward when he didn't need it is, is reason enough. But I digress. I believe this is an important moment. Jesus did this because the Spirit led him to this moment for a specific reason. Let's read about it. Luke 3, 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized as well. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the bodily form of a dove. And a voice came from heaven that said, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. What a moment. What a moment. We have the sun in the water We have the Father speaking and we have the Spirit descending, the Trinity all present, one place. The dove in bodily form, it says. Luke wants us to know it was a bird. Not like some shard of light that came down or energy force. A bird in bodily form, the Spirit came down and alighted upon Jesus. What a beautiful moment of the dove landing on the lamb. Then we have the voice, and this is one of only three times in the New Testament that we hear God's voice boom like this. We have this one here, the baptism. We have the one we've discussed, the transfiguration. And we have one more yet to get into at the crucifixion. 
we have the dove, we have the voice of God. And what is beautiful about this this part right here is that God could have really said anything, couldn't he? Think of all the things God could have told Jesus. What did Jesus maybe not need to hear? Maybe he should have proclaimed something like, he's on a mission, don't kill him. Or I mean, who knows? But he chose something, and I love because it reveals the nature of God. And it also reveals the nature of us. God says something to Jesus, and he chooses the word, words that every human soul desires to understand. You are mine, I love you, and I am well pleased with you. The human condition is the desire to know that God or the divine is pleased with us. In fact, religion, whatever religion people may choose to find, they're trying to answer this question. It's mankind's quest to know if God, quote, is okay with me. So whatever thing they make up or they, they, they decide that, hey, you know what, I actually am the divine. Well, you've just made up that, you've, you've, you've answered that question for yourself. The, the nature is the divine and it's okay with me. Every answer of religion is answering the question, is the divine okay with me? And God chooses the, to answer the core of the human heart, I am well pleased with you. I love you. I love you. You are mine. He affirms Jesus. And the thing of beauty is this is something we all need to understand and apply in our hearts. Because see, Jesus had not yet begun his public ministry. He hadn't started all his activity. He wasn't out healing everybody yet. He hadn't really kicked in the Jesus stuff. But God says, I love you. You're my son and I'm well pleased with you. Now go and do those things. Now go and do those things. Oftentimes we get trapped in a world where we're like, he's waiting for me to go do those things so he can tell me he loves me. Or I'm out there doing lots of things hoping he loves me. God lets us know you are my beloved daughter. I'm well pleased with you. You are my beloved son. I love you. I am pleased with you. And then from that, we go and the activity flows from it. Listen, the secret sauce in this moment is this. Identity comes before the activity. Our identity should come before the activity. When you are settled in your identity, your activity will naturally flow from you. When you love God and know his love is in you and know how much he loves you, you love people with a love that you didn't have before. Identity before activity. What happens if activity comes first? Your activity will begin to define your identity. We all have seen these people, right? It's easy to recognize in others. I mean, if someone is a vegan and a CrossFitter, which are they going to tell you first, right? (laughs) We see where activity gives identity, and there's nothing wrong with diets, there's nothing wrong with exercise, all that's great. Jokes aside, listen, our identity needs to come before activity, or our activity will begin to define us. Tracking with me? In relationships. If you are not defined before you date, you will date to be defined. If you are not, have your, if you don't have your identity settled, you will look for your identity to be given from you from significant others. Time and time again. 
in work. If you don't know your identity, you'll look for your career, your activity, to grant it. And your identity will ebb and flow based on success and failure. But if your identity is settled before your activity, succeed or fail, you know who you are and you know whose you are. Identity before activity. And then God proves it here as he speaks to the core. And we can, go in, we can go in any area of your life and my life and look and say, always identity first. Always identity first. Or you will bring your identity question to the world and it will give you a very different answer about who you are. And you, you will find that spiritually, you begin to define yourself by the things you do. Oh man, the sins I commit. That's probably how God feels about me. Well, that's a lie. Your identity is a beloved son or daughter. He's pleased with you. He loves you. Identity before activity. Today, for some of us, the one thing to hear in this whole message that we're gonna hear today is this, is to be reminded that God approves of you. In Jesus, he says, you are mine. I love you, and I'm pleased with you. I have a smile for you. When I think about you, I'm happy. For some of us, that is the, that is the core issue, and from that, we can grow. Now, we have to go and address this issue of authority that Jesus raises in, in Luke 20. And to answer that, we touched on Luke 3. But to really answer it, we have to go back to Moses. Okay? So like an inch and a half to the left, um, we're going from, from, from Luke 20 to Luke 3 and back to Numbers because you see that the Hebrews have a word. The Hebrews have, have ideas and words when it comes to conveying anointing and authority onto somebody. And they had a rabbinic system. Did you know that? They had a rabbinic system where they would bestow authority from God to other rabbis. And the word here is shmicha. Shmicha. You gotta get that in there. Now, I'm not gonna get that. I gotta preach, and I gotta say it a bunch more times, so I'm not gonna say that version. But it's shmicha. Can you say that with me? Shmicha. Different translations that you guys are doing great with that one. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're going with shmiha today. Shmiha. Shmiha was how a rabbi with authority would ordain or anoint another rabbi. It starts in Numbers, in the fourth book of the Bible, way back. God has given Moses his authority, and he tells him to go pass it on to Joshua. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, a man in whom the spirit of leadership is in, Lay your hands upon him, which is where we get all this. Give him some of your authority. In Deuteronomy 34, later when Moses dies, now Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Why? Because Moses had laid hands on him because of Shmicha. He had a spirit of wisdom. He had, he had some portion of favor of God's wisdom upon him. Something in Joshua, because of the Shmicha, there was a transaction with Joshua and Moses when this happened. They laid on of hands and something was passed. An impartation, a favor, an anointing. There was one point where Moses and Aaron, they go and they, these two rabbis, Moses and Aaron, go and lay hands on 70 elders and the elders immediately begin to prophesy. Like, like when Shmiha happens, when this, when this exchange would happen, we see Joshua had some spirit of wisdom. These, these prophets, these 70 prophets get a spirit of prophecy and they start going. So something transact, there's some kind of transactional thing here when the shmiha is prayed upon, when it's given. And so from then on, the Hebrew tradition had it this way. To pass along shmiha, this authority, you had to have two rabbis prayed over you. And they had to both lay hands on you 
and verbally affirm you. Two authority, two, two rabbis with shmiha, two things. Verbal affirmation, laying on of hands. If you were 20 years old and one rabbi said, you have it, I'm going to pray over you, and he affirmed you, and he laid hands on you and gave you shmiha, you didn't have the full thing until, let's say, you're 60 and somebody else affirmed it then too. You needed two rabbis. Now, this is very interesting to me. Because they began to keep track of their genealogy, spiritual genealogy. They began to keep track of their lineage. You know, we have this in jujitsu and karate and other things like, like I can cha- trace your belt back to whoever gave you. And some of you who are involved in these martial arts or these different other things, you, you know who taught you, who taught them, who taught them, who taught them. And the, and the genealogy goes back. Well, they had this spiritually. And these rabbis would say, well, well Hillel prayed over me here and, there and there and there. And they would trace their spiritual genealogy, their shmiha, their power, all the way back to Moses and then to God who gave it to him. How cool is that? To have a spiritual like family tree of anointing. Isn't that awesome? Just nod your heads with me sometimes. <laughs> it's so cool. Now a, a rabbi with shmaha, with shmiha, he would not have to fo- he could go out and teach. He wouldn't have to footnote every one of his things like a, a scribe would have to or an expert in law. He could give new interpretations of the word. He could give new revelation. He almost would preach like this. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, don't look at a woman lustfully. Do you see the new interpretation there? That's kind of how a rabbi Wishmaha might speak if he had it, okay? And so this was truly a new authority. Now it's amazing to me that there's this legacy of Shmiha all the way back to Moses. And I'm always so jealous because I like want to know, you know, my legacy back to Moses. It's a long time, huh, Dad? He, my dad led me to Christ in Mike and Vicky King's driveway over on the CRMS road when I was five. That's my legacy. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't go to Moses. I don't know where it goes to. So, but I, I'm so jealous that they have this anointing and power that comes from Moses. They can tra- track it back. But um, something tragic happened. You see, when there was the uh, third Jewish revolt, the Roman state made the Shmiha ceremony a capital offense for both the person bestowing it and the one receiving it. A capital offense. And so they had to begin to do it underground and they kept the notes and they would log it and they would keep blessing and it went underground until about 480, somewhere around in there, the genealogy from Moses was lost. They, they can't find it. And they've tried, they've tried so hard to, to, to resuscitate it and find it. But, but how do you find it when you need to know who has it? How do you find out who has Shmiha when the records are gone and you need two? And so it's been lost and it's, 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 it's tragic. Except for one thing. And this is where the Jewish scholars and myself part ways. You see, I don't think we've lost it. I don't. There was this rabbi who they believed Shmiha rested upon. He spoke with incredible power and authority. He had disciples who followed him. His father was a priest of the Lord. He was raised in the temple. He was respected by throngs of people and they would come to hear him speak about the Torah. He was empowered by the Spirit from birth for greater works and his name was John the Baptist. 
So, in Luke 20, when Jesus is asking about John the Baptist's authority, what is he saying? Why is that what he brings up when they ask him about his authority? Are we getting somewhere? Yes, we are going somewhere, and I will land it. So, why does Jesus ask about John's baptism when asked about his own authority? John the Baptist had shmiha. He was in the spiritual genealogy of Moses. He could pass on his shmiha through verbal affirmation and the laying on of hands. Okay, so there he is. He's teaching and he's preaching and he's baptizing. And one day, in the midst of the flow of his spirit, he looks up and there's Jesus in front of him. Now, John the Baptist affirms Jesus many different ways and times. At one point, he says, look, the Lamb of God, there he is, who takes away the sins of the world. He got that Jesus was going to be some sort of Messiah that was different than the conquering Messiah here. He even says at one point, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He understands something about Jesus' identity. So when Jesus approaches him in the baptism water and, they walk, and he walks out and their eyes meet, what does he do? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy at all to baptize you. But as requested by Jesus, he places his hands on Jesus. He verbally blesses him with his hands upon him and baptizes him, passing his shmiha onto Jesus of Nazareth. Can you see that when Jesus is questioning about his authority, why he would bring up the baptism? Does it make sense now? What we thought was just a a little pivot move, actually wasn't at all. He met the question full on. So now Jesus is, Jesus is a rabbi with Shmiha, correct? Like, does Jesus have the full weight of this authority on him, right? One thing's missing, we talked about, correct? How many, did, how many people have prayed over him? One. And nowhere else in the Bible do we hear that anybody else does. We don't read anywhere in here where someone goes and, 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 get, and pass, like, lays hands and then prays the blessing upon him. No other human does this. But follow me on this. And those, again, yeah, this is good. Out of Luke 20, back to Luke 3, John the Baptist has just passed his shmiha on by verbal, laying, by, by verbal blessing and laying on of hands. And what happens next in the text? Come on. Come on, what happens next? When he comes out of the water, what happens? The God Almighty, King of the universe, Yahweh himself speaks. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. I love you. Oh, so he has the words of affirmation, but he has no physical touch. God is in spirit. But Luke lets us know that in bodily form, the spirit descends like a dove and alights upon him. The beauty of the moment that within one act, Jesus has received full shmiha. That there has never been a rabbi like him before or since that fulfills the human line of genealogy of Moses, but also has a new work created by God himself as God spoke from heaven, giving him the favor, the anointing, the authority, and from then on, Jesus goes and does what? He goes and starts his ministry. He goes to the desert to be tempted, and then it's on. It's on. From this point on, you begin to see a different way of Jesus. 
And this is when he begins to speak like a rabbi with shmiha. You've heard it said this, but I say this. That is a new interpretation that only someone with this authority would be, would be able to do. We read, um, and, and early in Jesus' ministry in Matthew, he had just finished saying, speaking some words, and the crowd was amazed at his teachings because he taught with one as authority, not as one of their teachers. But they weren't kind of clear on it yet early, early in Matthew. But then two chapters later, when they saw and heard what he did, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority. It's getting cleared up. They're seeing that he has an authority upon him as he works miracles and as he speaks truth and as he speaks to the heart of people and calls them, they're seeing that there is an authority and power on Jesus that, that they, can't, they, they can't claim. This has got to be from God. So in Luke 20, so in Luke 20, when they say, by whom does your authority come? They're asking one thing. In Jewish question, what are they asking? Who gave you your shmiha? <laughs> and doesn't it make sense why he immediately asks about John the Baptist? Do you see it now? Do we see that, that, that Jesus is, is straight on? If they affirm John the Baptist and all that he did, then they have to affirm Jesus. And if they don't affirm John the Baptist, then they're going to get stoned with rocks. And so they just politely go, we got no answer. And so Jesus is like, then I'm done with you. Come on. The beauty of the story is not in the questions. It's that Jesus, fully man, fully human, God, fully human, fully God, had a new shmiha, a new authority. Granted from, from, from God himself. Now, now here's the cool thing. Jesus takes something old, like shmiha, and then baptism later, and many other things, and he takes it and he transforms it, elevates it, and then he offers it. He offers it. He takes what was meant for a few and gives it to any who would come to him and come through him. What does this have to do with us? That's the big question, right? We come to church not just to be taught a history lesson. Daniel, what does this have to do with me? That's cool, maybe, but what does it have to do with me? Listen, when you come to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit and you become a son or a daughter of God. And God says over you, you're a new creation. And he would say to you, you're my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. You're my daughter whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. He would speak those words to you. And based on the sacrifice of Jesus and all that he is going, we're going to see that he does, we are transformed and so we are now, those of us in Jesus who have resolved that and who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we now, whether we know it or not, carry the shmiha of Jesus Christ with us. Did you guys know that? Man, I thought Christianity was just about coming to church and feeling bad about stuff. Whoa, that's not in there. It is about a man, a, a savior who came and gave his life, who lived perfect perfection and then died and rose again and he gave his spirit and those who come after him receive that spirit and walk in the power and authority that he has. And he says, greater things will you do than I have done. You don't do that without authority. You don't do that without shmiha. We are, we are chosen in Christ. We are said to go into the world, love God and love people. And you know there's a world out there that really needs that? Do you know there's a world out there that needs the shmiha of Christ to speak life into them? That needs them to, to be a hand that, that comforts them? Did you know the world needs you? 
I don't know if you know this, we're going to find out Jesus leaves the earth. And he leaves his spirit with you. You are now to do what he did while he was on the earth. To go and love and speak truth, speak life. You are given authority, shmiha, from God himself through the spirit of Christ within you. While the Old Testament rabbis can trace their spiritual genealogy to Moses, we trace ours to Jesus. And he passes it on to any who would follow him as savior. His authority and his favor. His favor. So today, today we need to look at our identity. I mean, I said identity before activity. So many of us are, are waiting like, like, I don't know what to do out there. I don't know how to go love people. I don't know. I've not been in the seminary. I have, we have so many excuses why we're not doing. But the reality is we've been given a shmiha and an identity, a power and authority, along with an identity as a beloved son or daughter. Any guilt you have upon you this, this morning in, the, in front of God, in Jesus, you need to know the Bible says it is, is irrelevant. There is no condemnation in Christ. How much condemnation? None. It says you can enter his court with boldness as a son or a daughter. So if you come here today heavy burdened by guilt or shame by what you've been in, inhale and be reminded that the power of the living God claims you are clean. And he says walk in authority and go speak and move in power in the places that I'm sending you to work tomorrow, home today, Ah, okay. Amen? Amen. It's, it's, we just need to be reminded that the, the, we, the orchard, we are in the divine lineage of Jesus in Hishmiha. God has placed this body of Christ. When I say, when Charlie and I say orchard, like, can I just tell you what we're not talking about? Ah, oh, that's next week, isn't it? Okay. Come back next week for that one. Oh, man, it's so good. Okay, okay. Orchard, listen, we are powerful beyond measure. We, the people, are powerful beyond measure. We don't come here to get filled up just to make it through another week. We come here to celebrate and praise to go forth and bring it in the community and the people around us. For some of you, I'm just going to be blunt. It is time to follow Jesus in baptism. To recognize that what stands between you and a public declaration is just pride and just fear. And all the caveats you have of where it needs to be and how it needs to be and who needs to be and all those things, perhaps it just needs to be that Jesus of Nazareth, our Messiah, waded into the water with no need to be baptized. And you know, a disciple of Christ would do whatever Christ did. I believe on that day his disciples were baptized. So perhaps today we let that stuff go. And we say, you know what? I have chosen to follow Jesus as a decision in my heart. I'm gonna choose to follow him and publicly declare. I'm, I, listen, this is not condemnation. This is not shame. I just think that God is speaking to many of you resoundingly right now, and you know it. And one final tidbit about Shemiha. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus, especially Leviticus 4, you can read, you can read about it all through Leviticus, but Leviticus 4 is where it really goes into the sin offering. It describes the duties of the priest as they performed the sacrifice for the sins for the people. And the priest would need to have a lamb or a bull without blemish, and then he would lay his, lay his hands, samachyad, which is where we get the shmiha. He would lay his hands on the lamb. 
that's going to be sacrificed. He would lay his hands on the lamb and transmit symbolically the sins of the people onto the lamb for forgiveness. That was called shmiha, the laying and leaning on of hands onto the, Paso, onto the sacrificial lamb. And in Luke 20, we need to remember Jesus is within days of being sacrificed as the Passover lamb. So when John put his hands on Jesus and blessed him with authority, listen, there's symbolically that God has placed his hands on the lamb at that day that you will die for all the sins of the people. Shmiha, the laying on of hands. This morning as we go into communion, and as you come forward, we have an open communion. Um, you're welcome to come partake of the juice, which is the symbol of the blood, and the bread, which is the symbol of the body that's broken for us on the cross. I would challenge you to get those and hold those as the symbol the reminder of what your identity means and the cost that came with it. Those of you here today struggling with just the identity issue, that I'm not forgiven, I'm not loved, I've done this and that, and you have your whole list of things, bring them before the broken body and blood of Jesus and remember, remember what matters most. And here as you partake, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you, and I am well pleased. And Orchard, beyond that, as we worship a God who's living and a Savior who died and rose again, as we leave this place and go back into our lives, remember that you have been granted great authority by the Spirit of God. We are not weak, wimpy people on this earth hiding our faith and worried about, oh, I don't have the... the Spirit of the living Christ lives within you. And he grants you shmiha. If you want prayer today, there might be people up front and in the back. We would be happy to pray for you whether it be for blessing or for healing or whatever it would be. But let us receive God as he speaks to each of us and deal with him as he pricks our hearts. Amen?